Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Okay, I have some questions for you. I want to know if you understand how someone can go from a career in the Navy to running a software company. And do you want to understand some ways you can differentiate yourself in a crowded market? Or are you looking for the best ways to grow a software company? We're going to talk about all of those and more today. This is Sastery in the Making. I am your host, Matt Wallach, and I am delighted to be joined by my special guest, Ofer Yurvexel. Ofer, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Matt? <laughs> I am also doing great. Thank you very much for asking. Let me tell you all about Ofer. He's a great, great leader within the software space. He is the CEO and co-founder of Peppery, which is a B2B omni-channel sales platform for brands and wholesale distributors. We're going to learn more about how that platform helps out. I can't wait to get into that. So once again, Ofer, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. But please tell me, what have you been up to lately and what's coming up for you guys? Yeah. Focusing mainly on promotions that are cross, uh, cross-channels promotions, which is quite difficult things to do between the reps, the merchandisers, and, uh, and the B2B commerce and the telesales, that all the different uh, organizations will see the same uh, promotions and that they will sync well between them. So we constantly improve uh, this part and we invested quite a lot into it lately in improving it further. That's amazing. So... What exactly are you doing? I know that there's a lot of people struggling with that because you get one piece working on this and they kind of get disjointed sometimes. How are you keeping everything in sync? What steps are you taking? Actually, it starts from the architecture. Uh, We have a very unique architecture. If you look on uh, typical B2B solutions and even B2B uh, RFPs for sales solution, typically there are two separate solutions, if not more even. One for the field, which is typically for native online, offline application. I apologize if I'm a bit technical here, native, online, offline. And the other one is more for the B2B e-commerce and for the telesales, which is typically browser-based because they have they have their desktop, they have uh, internet, there's no need for native uh, app on a mobile device. And typically those are completely two separated solutions. In Peppery, the architecture, the entire business logic is running from one one layer and not two layers that are connected. And this makes it much easier for us and for our customers to keep consistency between the different channels. Although technology-wise, the end users are using completely different types of applications because there's only one business logic to the entire solution and for all the different channels. Got it. So what exactly does Peppery do? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, sure. Uh, We help companies that are selling physical goods typically uh, consumer goods such as food, beverages, beauty, cosmetics, fashion, whatever, but physical good. We help them sell business to business, not business to consumers. So we help them sell to distributors if they are manufacturers. And if they are distributors, then distributors selling to shops that can be online shops or offline, meaning uh, mom and pop, large ones. But typically, these are the customers that we are dealing with, selling physical goods, business to business. Okay, great. So I want to know, how did you go from being an engineer and in the Navy to being co-founder and CEO of a software company? How did that journey happen? 
Oh, you're confusing a bit. I was in the Navy, not an engineer. I, oh, was, okay. uh, I was a captain and uh, then uh, I was running like a unit in the Navy with several uh, boats, if I can call it this way. And then I uh, was learning engineering immediately after that. Okay, and after it. learning engineering, I started to work in the high tech, which brings us to Peppery. And then uh, someone who knew me approached me and told me about an idea that two investors have that they are trying to run for like three years and not successfully and couldn't sell it and invested quite a lot into it and asked me whether I'm interested. Back then, I was a vice president in a very large uh, company. And I said, why not? Let's take a risk. I just ensured that they will give me enough cash to run it uh, for enough time to make it successful. The idea was completely different than what we are doing today. So for three years, we were running something completely different, which is warranties in the skies, in the cloud. Back then, it was uh, something very unique, the cloud. And uh, after three years, we did a pivot to what we are doing now. And I'm really summarizing it. But what happened is uh, after three years, the iPad came out. And part of our solution was with those warranties to provide sell-through information to salespeople on the go based on warranties. And uh, we realized that this is a great sales tools and say, instead of doing such a niche solution, let's do a sales tools and that's it on an iPad. Back then it was unique to have an application on an iPad. So we were very successful for a while just from the fact that we were unique. But we knew that in order to survive, we need to do something way more robust and deeper and wider than just uh, order taking, which is what we did back then. Mm -hmm. And this is how we ended up with a full platform that can serve the sales rep, the merchandiser, the drivers, the customers of our customers, the telesales and the managers, of course. So it became wow. a monster when you compare it to where we started and what we are doing today. It's really amazing in terms of the solution. Isn't it fun to look back at that journey and see the steps you've taken along the way? It's definitely fun. From time to time, on my computer, I have all these folders. And I'm uh, looking on uh, those folders from time to time, you know, like folder of kickoff 2012, kickoff uh, board meeting from 10 years ago. And I'm looking on the board meeting and I'm reading the slides and say, oh, amazing. I say that 10 years ago, or three years ago. Yeah, it wow. is. It's wow. always fun to look backwards. Very cool. So when you got started, you were fairly a unique solution. But of course, as things have gone in the software world, I'm sure others entered the space. How have you differentiated yourselves and gotten your market to understand how your solution separates and can help more than others? What are you doing to differentiate? We always uh, differentiated ourselves on being the most configurable solution. Uh, why configurable is important? Because it means that you can adapt the application to your ever-changing needs easily without going through a full project with development, and which obviously is costly. Uh, so we were always uh, proud of our configuration capabilities. But this worked only for a while. because, And I would say that on the mobile side, you will not find native applications that are so configurable. Typically, they are more custom-made for a built-for-purpose and not so configurable. So we were extremely configurable compared to the competition on the mobile side. Once we entered into the website of the business, it's a different story because there you can find tons of uh, very good structured solutions. 
but then the ability to provide from the same configuration layer, configuration for both native application as well as web, this is quite unique. And uh, this is really differentiating us. I can tell you we are doing uh, demos to prospect, to customers. There is a wow factor when they see how easily we can make changes that are affecting all the different channels like that. And it's just, you know, drag and drop. And suddenly the entire thing is changing. The screen, the look, the business logic very easily. That's amazing. So in our sales process that we teach our, our clients, we talk about one of the things you need to do is associate and make your solution fit to their needs. So it sounds like that's what you're doing within the solution itself is you're actually showing how customizable it is so it can fit exactly for their needs. Is that right? Yep, exactly. We are always uh, very proud of, of that, of our ability really to mold easily, you know, the application to their needs, much more than typically what they found before. We are running into situation in many cases that the customer is telling us, you know, this is the way we do it. Why? Because this is what the system can do. And we say, what do you mean? Tell us what you need. We'll do it for you. It's a different way of, uh, we are not telling the customer, this is the way you need to run it. Although we have a lot of knowledge and we can recommend, but if he has a certain business logic and he wants to run his operation, in a certain way, we are there really to adapt the application to his needs, uh, or he can do it himself, actually. Okay, perfect. So how did you come to that conclusion that you need to make the application configurable, that you meet, need to make it customizable? Did that come over time, or was there kind of a light bulb instance? What happened? In the hard way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we always knew that this is the right way to, do, to, to build software as a product. It's a bit harder. This is what differentiates project from a product, that a product can adjust easily. And uh, the problem is always resources and time, you know. So in many cases, in order to provide a solution, you're doing quick and dirty, and then you pay the price because you're building again and again until you, uh, you learn, okay, all the variant, and you say, okay, now that I know all the variant, I need to build a product that can do all of them from one configuration layer. So in many cases, we've done it after learning, you know, in the hard way, okay, these are, but architecture-wise, we really built it right to be able to do it. So we have a lot of capabilities in really configuring things. That's fantastic. So despite that, or, or besides that, because that sounds like that went really well, what were some of the other best things that you did along your path that helped you get to where you are now? Ah, it's quite obvious. People. <laughs> Choosing the right people. And uh, my management is, uh, is with me for many, many years. It's the same people from the beginning. And uh, it's this feeling of, uh, of a unit, of a family. I don't know how to call it, that uh, you work, you choose the right people and you enjoy working with them. And then work is fun. And when work is fun, things are good. I completely agree. I love that answer because so many times we think of tech and we need this and we need that and we need this feature and we got to have this capability. But really, it always boils down to people. All companies are made up of people. And I love that you said it's fun when you get in the right situation with the right people, the right team, the right market that you're going after. It's just so much fun. You enjoy it. It doesn't feel like work anymore. You are working together as a team and you've got the flywheel spinning in the right direction all together. It's just such a, an amazing experience. So I think that that answer really sums up a lot of the things that I've felt on some of my best teams. 
And I just think that having the right people is absolutely critical to growing any company, especially a software company. You simply cannot without it. It's a must. The company, you see it in the product, you see it in everywhere. The company is the people. When I see the product and I see a certain feature, I know who is behind it, who thought about it, who developed it, and it's... And you can sense it. You can see the the quality and the and the knowledge there. So there's a second thing there that I just kind of read through the lines in what you said. It sounded like your team has some empowerment that you know they've got some autonomy to be able to come out with new ideas and get them into the product. Are you empowering the team? Are you doing any special methods for doing that to let them kind of take their own projects and go with it? To be honest, I, I lost control. I'm not empowering. I simply lost control. <laughs> I'm always surprised, you know, with things that are coming. I'm sitting in a meetings, in meetings with customers, and suddenly they are telling me about how they did things. And I say, really? With Peppery? I was not aware that we can do it. So, yeah, it's uh, at the beginning, you know, the first few years, you know everything. And you're really yeah. controlling everything. But then after a while, it's simply... And if it's not like that, you'll never be able to grow because you cannot be the, the inventor and the, and the manager and you're running into a situation that things are coming to you. And the only thing you need to do is from time to time to say, no, no, I don't want to do this thing in some cases, but you are no longer the one who is driving things. You are just steering things. Sure. Yeah, I think that's so true that you said it perfectly. If you really want to grow, it's got to be the team that makes it happen. It can never be you as the bottleneck. And I think too many times as leaders, when we're, especially in the early days, when we've got that control and we've, we're the one driving the bus, that we feel like we always have to. But once you get to that realization, and this is where a lot of founders I work with struggle when they really try to get to that scale phase is they try to keep too much control, but don't realize that you've got to be able to let the team take over. You've got to be able to let the team drive the bus, as you said, so that you can be the one just kind of supporting and steering them in the right direction. That's when scale can actually happen. It sounds like that worked really well for you, Ofer. Yeah, not always. Uh, from time to time, we failed. Also, you know, when we talked about the team and the team spirit, I think one of the most important thing about the team is how you handle tough situations and whether you are handling them with the same passion and with the same atmosphere, meaning everyone together and not finger pointing. So how are you crossing those type of situations? But yes, all in all, it's exactly what you were saying. But I just don't want to portray as if everything is uh, is so good and great always because it's not. <laughs> You're going oh, to have a tough time. <laughs> I totally get it. I know that things aren't always roses and unicorns, but uh, you guys are handling the situations well, it sounds like. But let's talk about that. So what are some of the things that kind of went off the rails a little bit? What happened and then how did you bring it back and steer things back? Yeah, a few years ago, we, I, not we, I, I was tempted to take a, a huge customer, huge, everyone knows, uh, know this customer. And uh, we were working with this customer in one country and then uh, the second country came and it was huge opportunity, but they demanded too much and were willing to pay too little. I don't want to say the country, but the mentality there was not of a win-win. And I was, re I really wanted it, really wanted the deal. 
And I made a mistake. And this mistake cost us like a year, I would say. Oh, uh, because uh, we simply were into a vicious cycle of trying to satisfy them without enough resources. And they were not willing to pay and uh, blah, blah. And uh, the payment terms were horrible because I was optimistic. Say, yeah, we will do it. So I was over optimistic, overconfident in our ability. And uh, eventually I needed to tell the customer, you know what? I'm cutting it off. It was me who was saying it, not the customer. And I said, we are not willing to continue. And it took us like a few months to recover from that even because uh, it creates a lot of stress and pressure on everyone, a customer like that. So if I need to summarize it, it's a well-known, you know, uh, expression, don't take elephant too early, you know, don't hunt elephant too early. And if you hunt elephant, make sure that you get the right price for them. Uh, not that I'm encouraging you to hunt elephant, you know, it's not politically correct nowadays, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. And I kind of coach my clients on that same exact thing. There's a desire to get that big win, a big contract, of course, but with it comes some of the, the scary parts of it. And if you are imbalanced, I call it, where you've got one or two huge deals and very few others, then you are slave to them. You have to make sure you keep them. So whatever they ask for, you've got to do. And it's even worse when they realize it. <laughs> Because then they're going to press their thumb down and make sure that you uh, you do what they're asking for. And it can take you completely off your roadmap. It can take you completely out of your, your goals for what you were doing. And like you said, it costs you a year. I've seen that happen many, many times. I've been guilty of it myself. I think it's too easy as a leader to say we need this big windfall of cash. But it can be very, very dangerous to have that big elephant, as you say, and not too many other rabbits or deer. Yeah, totally. Exactly. On the other end, I can say that, that there is a fine balance because you do want to take uh, customers that are pushing the envelope of your product for as long as it is manageable, because this is exactly where what helps you, you know, to take the company to the next level, to the next step, you know, with larger customer, with more complex requirements, uh, with more complex projects. But do it smartly and be careful. Yeah, absolutely. So that's some really good advice. What other advice would you give to new software founders who are starting out over what, what things should they be thinking of or aiming for as they are getting going with their companies? I think another mistake that I made has to do with the fact that when you are at the beginning and you're doing something innovative, we were quite successful, but you need to think a bit long-term and not short-term and understand that uh, you will not stay unique for too long. And being a small company, you might lose your uniqueness if you continue to, to be too wide. So uh, before Peppery, I was always uh, focusing vertical focus, vertical focus. And in Peppery at the beginning, it was so easy that I said, there's no need for vertical focus. Mm. And it was a big mistake. <laughs> So this is another uh, lesson learned that I would tell everyone from the get-go, try to not to be too optimistic about the future of your competitors and try to set yourself a narrow market that is big enough to start with, but on the other end is narrow in terms of requirements and in terms of spreading the word marketing-wise. And uh, so you can really get the momentum going 
because otherwise, after a while, your competitor will start to beat you. Very true. As they say, the riches are in the niches. Yeah, so no, you, you should start this way. And once you took uh, a niche, you can expand to additional niches and expand. I'm not saying stay there forever, but uh, it's extremely important when you are small and when you are at the beginning, even if you are extremely successful, don't continue to take things that are not in your uh, in your strategic direction and define your strategic direction in a very clear way. And even if you are successful, it does not mean that you'll continue to be successful. So be careful with that. Agreed. That's exactly the type of lessons that I teach my clients. Sometimes they start too wide. They're going for everybody. They want to be all things to all people. The problem is when you do that, nothing sounds good to any of them. So the, the old adage of you don't want your marketing to sound good to a lot of people. You want it to sound great to your perfect customer. Exactly. And, and, and that's the way to think of it. And when you do that, then like you said, your marketing messaging is aimed at them. The words, the lingo in that industry are perfect. You can nail that niche. And then when you start feeling good and you've got a good market share, then you can go to adjacent niches just on either side. And that's when you start expanding. So, oh, for that is awesome advice. I completely agree with you there. Thank so, you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been awesome. We've run out of time. But I have learned a lot and I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and how you got Peppery to where it is now. So I want to make sure that people understand what Peppery is all about. So how shall our audience learn more about you and Peppery? Well, it's very easy. You simply need to log into peppery.com. There is tons of material there. We have an open knowledge base, case studies, more for the business side of the people. And then we have open APIs for the technical people and we provide a full free access to our API. So whoever wants to learn, just visit our website. Okay, perfect. Well, we will put that in the show notes to make sure everybody has that. But Ofer, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Matt. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much for hosting me. Real pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. And for everybody else listening, thank you very much for listening. I hope you got a lot out of this. Please make sure that you are subscribing to the show. When you subscribe, you're going to be getting notifications of every new release. We release new shows weekly to make sure that you can get more learning from some of the best in the software industry. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching if you're watching, and we will see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.